What movie does the best job of capturing the Civil War on film, and which one does the worst? We'll ask our guest, Gary Gallagher, these and other questions when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. My husband and I met at a strip mall dance. It was a beautiful old strip mall. I had seen my husband before at a big rally at the highway on ramp for all the men who had enlisted. He was going to war. Four years later, we married at the little convenience store downtown. When we lose a historic place, we lose a part of who we are. To learn how you can help protect places in your community, visit nationaltrust.org. History is in our hands. A message brought to you by the National Trust for Historic Preservation and the Ad Council. It's a wake-up call. It's time to get serious about preparation and to understand that the threat is very real. This is a message from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, recorded by Roger Kilfoyle, New York City firefighter. The topic, getting serious. It's irrelevant where you live or how many people live in your community or other variables like that. It's, it's America. America's the target, not just New York. We know there are some positive things that you can do to better prepare yourself and your family. It's simple steps to prepare yourself for events that may be out of your control. So, you know, having these little supplies together, you can prepare for problems that may happen. Learn to be prepared at www.ready.gov or call for a free brochure, 1-800-BE-READY. That's 1-800-237-3239. A public service message brought to you by the Ad Council. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Gary Gallagher, whose new book, Causes One, Lost and Forgotten, deals with how Hollywood and popular art shape what we know about the Civil War. And we'll talk about art a little bit later, but we've been talking about Hollywood and the way that uh, movie makers have, have interpreted the war, consciously or unconsciously. Um, and talking about the, the one interpretation that really interested me, the Union cause interpretation, the one held by so many white Northerners during and after the war, that the war was fought to preserve a form of government. Uh, and it's a cause that is largely forgotten uh, among the general public today, a hard one to convince students uh, was ever real or, or, or one that was threatened, uh, and one that rarely shows up in films. Uh, Gary, what, which one does show up in films the most, do you think? I think that for in terms of what's motivating um, anyone wearing a blue uniform, uh, it's emancipation. And I, I want to make clear that even those, most of those who subscribe to the Union cause uh, in the late 19th century would have said emancipation was important because it was a, an important tool that helped achieve Union. And they were happy to see slaveholders lose their slaves because they blamed slaveholders for the whole problem. But I think emancipation is the way that most people who go to films now would understand it. Now, that's obviously the case in Glory. Glory is a great uh, benchmark uh, in terms of, of Civil War films. It's the first one that really shows African-American soldiers. It's, it's the first introduction that many Americans, I would think a majority of Americans who, who even think about the Civil War, it's the first time they really had placed on their radar screens the fact that there are significant numbers of black soldiers in the United States Army. But there it's about 
uh, it's about emancipation. The part that really counts, that the white soldiers in glory, for the most part, are very negatively portrayed. And accurately, in terms of their racism and so forth, I'm not saying that there weren't unsavory dimensions to the attitudes of white northern soldiers from our perspective, uh, but that's not all there was to them. That would be my point. But other films, in in Gettysburg and in Gods and Generals, it falls to Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain to explain what the Civil War is really about. And in both of them, he says it's about emancipation. That's what it's really about. Uh, His little brother Tom does the same thing. Uh, in Gettysburg. It's, it's a theme that runs through uh, almost all of the films, even many of the white characters in films uh, such as Summersby uh, and Ride with the Devil and others. They have very modern attitudes or manifest very modern attitudes about race and slavery. In Cold Mountain, for example, Ada Monroe, the white uh, heroine, who moves from Charleston to Western North Carolina. Uh, Her second or third line is that she's so happy to be away from Charleston with its uh, cotton and corsets and slaves. Now, that's the uh, unless it was a Grimke sister, uh, the odds are against uh, a white slave-holding woman from Charleston expressing those kinds of attitudes. That that brings up something that that happens... Uh, that makes makes me an unpleasant person to go to the theater with, which is that I will sit there and go, oh, that's not right. Oh, they didn't talk that way. Oh, um, now there are people who will watch a war movie and go, oh, you know, those shells shouldn't be exploding or uh, uh, criticizing the the tactics or the formation. Right. And that that's intolerable enough. Um, but yeah, then you get civil war artillery rounds should explode in the air, not on the ground. Yes, one of my favorites. They they, they should, and and the mix of uh, explosive to solid shot seems a uh, hundred to one in the, the movies. Um, but uh, there are things you can and can't do, I guess, to to let the audience know what's going on. I, but my question is, is when I'm watching a movie, I'm constantly saying, "Oh, did that really happen?" And there may even be uh, people like myself who saw movies at one time and wondered and that led you to read a book and maybe another book and suddenly you become a historian uh, did uh, to take something from the first segment did white union soldiers periodically or regularly go uh, uh, exposing babies to the elements and, and raping women uh, as they, they went through the south was that routine well uh, no the, the I mean the literature says no it was not routine and that there were remarkably few rapes considering the circumstances uh, that were in place I mean wars of course they they remove restraints on people to a degree that happens in every war everywhere uh, but I think that and it's not just Mark Grimsley in his hard hand of war who's made this argument it's an argument that's very much in the literature that there was less of this than you might think there was and my uh, my complaint isn't even that it's depicted in some films. I say show you should show the war warts and all. My complaint is that that's really the only side of United States soldiers that you see in many of these films. You don't get a sense of the United States Army as this great force that helped restore the Union and eradicate slavery. I mean, if you take the United States Army out of the picture, slavery does not get destroyed. It's as simple as that. But conversely, just as the, the movies exaggerate the, the evil of Union soldiers in many cases, then they exaggerate the, the modernity of their racial attitudes in other movies. Absolutely. Yes. What about what about the Confederate interpretations, the Lost Cause, for example? Well, I think the Lost Cause has been very much in retreat. You see little flashes of it in 
in I mean Gettysburg has part of, of each of the major traditions in it. Uh, it has uh, reconciliation, especially uh, between Hancock and Armstead. That's the, the key reconciliation theme there, although Lee and Longstreet also talk on July 2nd about how uh, it's hard to think of their opponents as enemies, and they reminisce about Mexico and so forth. But there's emancipation, there's some lost cause, there's some reconciliation. Uh, there's, a, there's a little bit of everything uh, in that. But, but not much union uh, when you go throughout from film to film. Now, the, the lost cause you see hints of here and there until you get to gods and generals, and there you have a very powerful, I think, lost cause statement, almost up and down the line, uh, with Lee and Jackson, who are the two most important lost cause figures. They're central to the film. The slaves are really quite loyal in in gods and generals, especially in Fredericksburg, uh, and with Jim Lewis, uh, who is who's not Stonewall Jackson's slave, but th- there are key scenes between Jackson and this black man that imagine a kind of um, very calm racial situation after the war after the war in the confederacy where blacks and whites will live together on something it seems approaching equality uh, it's a very powerful i think lost cause statement now now much of what it argues again is accurate lee and jackson were religious as the film shows lee and jackson were great soldiers as the film shows on and on it's just a question of of balance there's no sense of the huge number of slaves who ran away from their owners there's no i mean it's just it, it's balance same in cold mountain i think now gods and generals they say is a sort of modern uh, resurgence of the lost cause yes. but that was the dominant tradition you go back to gone with the wind or birth of a nation absolutely dominant yes and and so uh many people and you started out suggesting more people had their vision shaped by of the war shaped by Gone with the Wind than all the books put together. Yes. Uh, and I think still more people would see Gone with the Wind on Ted Turner's channel than have seen uh, Gods and Generals, probably by far more. So so that really is still, in many cases, where we are in, in terms of dealing with how people understand the war. And Reconstruction, yes. Because, and especially, yes. Yeah. Now, the... Uh, the, the last tradition, um, the reconciliation, mm-hmm. uh, wh- how does that work? Well, that works different ways in different films. Uh, there, are, there are key scenes in, in uh, Gods and Generals, for example. It has a scene where the pickets uh, get together on, along the Rappahannock to trade coffee and tobacco, which is one of the, the crucial reconciliationist images that came out of the war. And that certainly did happen. There was fraternization among soldiers on both sides. They did get together and trade things. I think it's been exaggerated, and I think it often masks the, the, the degree to which the soldiers on each side really hated each other. I mean, there's a great deal. I, I think it's a comforting image for Americans to think that they weren't really that upset with each other, and yes, they slaughtered each other for a while, but then they realized they were more alike than different and just got over it. Uh, I don't think they did get over it very quickly. I think, it, the, in fact, some of them, many of them never got over it. And, in fact, their descendants still haven't gotten over it, as we see sometimes. Here in North Carolina, I, I do encounter that on, on occasion. Um, let me ask this about the, the possibility of realism or, or, or accuracy or, or uh, valid interpretation in Civil War movies. Is it, is it not the case that all, uh, all the movies that you cite in your book in some way reflect the era in which they're made more than they reflect the 1860s, whether it's Shenandoah from the 1960s right. or uh, uh, the 
gods and generals. Absolutely, I think that glory is is it's not conceivable that glory could have been made before the civil rights movement, for example. I think much of the negative depiction of of white United States soldiers in recent films can be traced. I mean that that comes from the influence of Vietnam. I think. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about it. So, yes, the, the films are of their times for the most part. I think Gods and Generals is an example of a film that doesn't reflect its time so much, and it was very harshly criticized in much of the press, as I'm sure you remember. It was it was a controversial film. Well, you know, a movie like uh, Titanic comes to mind, mm-hmm. where filmmakers spent an inordinate amount of money and time getting all the details right, the furniture right, the sets right, everything uh, fits. And then they uh, populate it with two main characters who behave like 1990s teenagers. Just like 1990s teenagers. And and the young woman of the two uh, telling off uh, all the wealthy older people around the table and so forth. It's, yes. It's... Which, in the 1990s, you go, yeah, I, 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 you can relate to that. Whereas if someone had behaved that way in 1913, they they would be thought mentally ill. Um, yes, it's just so inappropriate to behave that way. Maybe is the solution to go all the other way. Uh, I was recently watching a DVD of A Knight's Tale, uh, where you have a movie set in the Middle Ages, right? About, but jousting turns into a sort of combination of the PGA Tour and uh, world wrestling, or 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 kung fu, I, or, or the kung fu fighting that you see in historical films. Yeah, I mean where people are leaping around and flipping each other around and so forth. I mean it's, it. Well, why not take it? That, I mean, <laughs> it, I, I'm just wondering if yeah. you know a Knight's Tale becomes comprehensible to the modern audience. It tells us nothing about the Middle Ages, but it doesn't pretend to. <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> maybe a Civil War movie shouldn't pretend to tell us anything about the 1860s. Maybe it shouldn't. Uh, although, in, I mean, when they do things right, though, they do tell us uh, a great deal. And, and again, I'll come back to Glory, uh, which I think is the best uh, Civil War film. I, I, I think uh, Pharaoh's Army, which was a little film that came out in the mid-'90s, is very, very good, too. But I think that Glory it shows how a film can shape perceptions. Uh, I don't think that the the monument to the USCT troops to the to the the African American soldiers that was erected in Washington D.C. in the late 1990s would have been possible without Glory. Uh, I think that there you can draw a direct line between those two. I watched. I happened to be in New York City when Glory came out, and I went watched it. The audience was about half black and half white, and I stood in the foyer after the film and just listened to comments as people went out, and overwhelmingly. The most common thing I heard was some variation of, and this was from black and white audience uh, members, was I didn't know there were black soldiers in the Civil War. So what, what you said in passing that you think that was one of the best movies, and in the tease I promised we'd also address the war. What's the worst Civil War movie you, you watched for this book? Oh, boy. Um, that, that's, a tough, that's a tough call <laughs> because there have been so many really terrible uh, Civil War movies uh, over the years. Um, it would be, I, I, in terms of the most mistakes per minute, if you're talking about if they're accurate historically or not, it's tough to beat Santa Fe Trail uh, from 1940, which is just, it's just one whopper, I mean, one crazy, preposterous notion after another. Uh, it's about John Brown and Harper's Ferry and the coming of the Civil War and so forth, with Ronald Reagan as, as George Custer and Errol Flynn as Jeb Stewart, and it, it's really... It's a terrible movie in that regard, but it's a wonderful movie to analyze. I have my students look at films. Part of what they do in my Civil War courses, they have to look at 
two or three films and analyze them, what they present played off against what they've read in class in primary sources and so forth. And, and Santa Fe Trail always provides a lot of grist for their mills. What about, uh, and I know you, you claim not to be a, a critic of the movies, but aesthetically, what, what, which ones did you find the hardest to, uh, the, the least rewarding? Uh, aesthetically? Uh, well, I think that I think that Gods and Generals is not a successful film as a film. I think it's it it's not nearly as well paced as Gettysburg, although it's about the same length, has the same director, uh, Ron Maxwell. Uh, I think Gettysburg is a much better film than Gods and Generals. I think Gods and Generals is tedious uh, and almost incomprehensible to anybody who doesn't already know about the Civil War because it takes huge leaps in time and you don't really understand what's going on now because you missed part of what was going on then that led up to now. I just don't think it's as good a film. Well, maybe they're too close to that. I, you had a reference uh, in your book. I think it was the, the televised version of North and South. Yeah, uh, yes. Uh, where the director's only, uh, what was the director's comment to the actors? It's a bit more over the top. <laughs> if and, you and please. That, I mean, uh, every scene is over the top. It is over the top. And almost every actor and actress in it is over the top. It's really, it's, and I didn't deal with television. No. Uh, so I didn't deal at length with that. But, but North and South is, it's one howler after another. My favorite, my favorite bit of casting, as I say in the book, uh, is the, the evil uh, prison commandant uh, who is Wayne Newton. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is a good place to take a break, let our audience digest that image. And we'll come back in just a minute, talk more with Gary Gallagher on Civil War Talk Radio. Mm-hmm. 